the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is my college football summer school series on Cover 3. I bring on the team experts from the 24-7 sports staff and ask them the questions I care about. No fluff. Which players will be toughest to replace? What position groups are sneakily better or worse than I realize? We get you the scoop on each team in 20 minutes or less. Let's go. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Bud Elliott's College Football Summer School on the Cover 3 podcast. I'm Bud Elliott. That's Jeff Hansen, and that means today we are talking BYU. Jeff Hansen of Cougar Sports Insider. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Bud. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, a really exciting time for BYU sports last year, eight and five, kind of came out like in the 70s, some people in the 60s in, in, in the most of the national power ratings, and now they move on to the Big 12. Uh, this is a, a really it's got to be an interesting time to cover these guys. It is, man. I mean, there's a lot of really exciting things, obviously, across the program. I mean, just that transition from a, uh, an independent program into the Power Five conferences, that's a big deal. That's a big deal for any school. But even if you you get beyond that and get into the micro a little bit, BYU had a big defensive coordinator change, right? I mean, that's exciting. If you, if you go through any of the power rankings, it's usually the defense over the last few years that's held BYU back. They bring in uh, the defensive coordinator Jay Hill, former Weber State head coach, who out here out west is regarded as one of the brightest minds in football. Uh, and he's done a lot of things to really kind of, I guess, capitalize on the excitement of the Big 12 and also give his own level of excitement for, for a new defensive scheme. A lot of fans are excited to see what BYU can do this year. No doubt. So let's go ahead and start on that side of the ball then. 95th in the country last year, and I'll just use Bill Connolly's power rating, right, for, for defensive power rating. They were bend but don't break to the max, but then they also broke, which, I mean, if you're if you're 95th, that, that's got to be kind of both. Uh, they do lose, at least by the numbers, their best linebacker and best corner to Tennessee, but they've taken on a lot of transfers here. Can, can you sort of just start by walking me through which of these transfers will – will play and, and which these transfers might be more depth and and wh where do you feel they've hit and, and maybe not hit? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you nailed it on the head. Bend but don't break. But if you break, it doesn't really matter, right? It can quickly become death by a thousand paper cuts when that's your philosophy. So BYU needed to to shore up tackling. And that was one of the biggest problems. I mean, their their scheme was vanilla. They they didn't get after the pass rusher. They played a lot of coverage. But when you don't tackle, that doesn't work. So the first, I guess the biggest impact transfer that BYU has added is Utah State linebacker A.J. Vongfachon. He, he comes in, he's got three years of starting experience at, at Utah State. He was their leading tackler for a couple of those years. He's going to probably immediately start uh, in the middle of BYU's defense alongside Ben Bywater and Max Tooley. That goes a big way in, in helping BYU shore up their, really their tackling, but really their run defense, right? Uh, BYU also has not had a pass rush really at all to speak of over the last couple of years. They go out and they add Isaiah Bagna from Boise State, who when he's healthy, he's been a pretty productive pass rusher. Uh, he's he struggled with health. He struggled to stay on the field uh, for, for 12 games. But when he's on the field, he's electric. And BYU was hoping that with the mindset change in their philosophy and players like Bagna, um, they can get after the quarterback and create a little bit more havoc than they have in years past. And then beyond that, uh, Jackson Cravens and, and Eddie Heckard are two transfers who are probably going to play right away, probably in the starting lineup on day one. Everybody on the defensive side of the ball that's transferred in, aside from those four, is probably more of a depth play. But but those four, BYU is looking at them to come in and make immediate contributions. You, you mentioned a, a, a new mindset and, and the Boise tra- State transfer, if healthy, uh, it, is that a mindset of like more blitzing, let, let playing less coverage, or just kind of a mentality? Yeah, a, a little bit of both, right? I mean, no more two gapping, no more no more stuffing and, and and trying to eat up blockers and let somebody else make a play. Jay Hills come in and he wants to shoot gaps, he wants to make plays, he wants to send blitzes. Uh, he he's from the Kyle Whittingham coaching tree, and when you look at what his defenses did at Weber State, uh, it's very similar to what Kyle Whittingham's defenses have done at Utah over the last ten or fifteen years. So you put Jay Hill with Kalani Satake, who's also from that coaching tree, and there's there's a lot of a aggressive nature and aggressive thinking in that film room. And I think that's what BYU is hoping to see come to light uh, this fall. Jeff, I, I watched a lot of BYU last year and I mean, maybe it was just because of the, they're on a lot on, on national TV and they also play a, a decent number of weeknight games. I think it was East Carolina and maybe the uh, maybe Utah state game as well. And I, I agree with you about the tackling. I, I also thought the defensive line was, was relatively handled by some yeah. you know some opposing offensive lines that I don't think are like I definitely didn't think Utah State's O-line was great and mm-hmm. you know East Carolina I guess they had two good players but I I just didn't think of them as as, as amazing D- do you see improvement on the defensive line this year in terms of like handling blocks I I, I do, but I mean, when you're as bad as BYU was, that's not a huge bar to clear. They they were bad. They got handled by just about every offensive line, except for Baylor. Weirdly, that Baylor's you know one of the best offensive lines in the country, and and BYU had their way. So that was that was a little strange. Uh, the talent is just not there on the defensive line. There, there's a lot of walk-ons that play, which is great, right? I mean, everybody hopes that you have that walk-on story. But when you're depending on walk-ons to make that immediate contribution, then you've done something really wrong on the recruiting trail with your scholarships. And so the depth isn't there. A lot of walk-ons, a lot of former offensive linemen who have flipped over to the defensive side of the ball, a lot of just kind of learning on the fly. And the coaching, 
I don't think the coaching was what it needed to be. BYU has added Sione Puha, who who is kind of a proven coach, former NFL guy, did some really good things at Utah when he was on their staff. So I think that the improvement will be there, but I think the BYU's defensive line is still a few years away from having the talent that they need to be a good defensive line, but they shouldn't be as bad as they were a year ago. Yeah, I also feel like this, and, and this is just, I don't have the, the data on this, so I apologize. It, this defense feels like it got wrecked with injuries a, a good bit yeah. last year. It, what spots do we think just with average health could could get better, especially in the secondary? You lose Gabe Giulielli, but like, I weren't they playing a bunch of bunch of backups in the secondary at one point? They were, and some of that was some of that was injury. BYU did get hit hard with injury, and some of that was just kind of the weird philosophy that that the coaching staff has. And there's really not a way to sugarcoat it, bud. They they liked hockey subs. I mean, BYU was mm-hmm. one of the only teams I've ever seen that would have full on line shifts where you're seeing ten subs come on at the same time. It was it was weird to watch, and so you had a lot of new faces. You didn't have a lot of camaraderie, and then you throw in an injury or two each week. And there's just not a lot of chemistry with the guys that are out there on the field. Uh, BYU did replace their strength and conditioning staff this year. So clearly Kalani Satake sees a need to get healthier, right? And to do something different. They, you know, doing a lot less powerlifting, a lot more flexibility, a lot more speed training, stuff like that. More of a modernization of their strength and conditioning program. So they're hoping that that will lead to fewer injuries. But even beyond that, I mean, just having your best 11 on the field as much as you can without trying to play your entire two deep, almost like it's like it's little league football. I, I think that that should help with some of the chemistries and some of those issues that you would see on the field for BYU. That, 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 that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, let's let's go ahead and switch over to the offense here. Uh, finished up 52nd in, in, uh, in, in Connolly stuff. Um, you know, I feel like when they were healthy, it was certainly better than that. But mm-hmm. like to me, Hall looked hurt for a good part of the year. I know they never came out and said it, but I, I forgot what game it was. It was like, it looks like he took a shot yeah, and, and was not right after that. Yeah, he, he clearly got hurt. Um, it, it was towards the beginning of the year, but there were games, uh, the, the Notre Dame game, where it, he couldn't throw a football in the first half. And it looked like maybe he got his, you know, Toradol shot like right before kickoff and his arm was numb in the first half. And it finally kicked in in the second half. And he looked a little bit more like Jaron Hall. But yeah, you're. I think you're spot on. It, he was noticeably hurt uh, for a few games in the season, and I think that played a big role. As he got healthier as the year went on, uh, he ultimately got hurt against uh, Stanford at the end of the year. But when he was healthier there at the end, that offense started to, to, to click a little bit more. Injuries played a huge role. I mean, it really was a big role. The wide receivers, it was kind of a revolving door of who was healthy there. Running backs were in and out. So injuries played a big role, especially on the offense, but but especially with with the quarterback, Jaron Hall. Well, what have you seen out, out, out of Pitt transfer and former USC transfer Keaton Slovis? I mean, a guy who's not as mobile as, as, as Hall was, but how did he look in the spring? The coaches love him. They are raving about what he did during the spring. He looks comfortable and he looks like he's having fun. And I don't know how, how much of Pitt you got to see last year, but Keaton Slovis did not look like he was enjoying football anymore. I mean, things were just, I don't know if he was thinking too much or if it was just a new offense and he had to process slow. I, I don't know what it was, but he never really looked comfortable and he never really looked like he was enjoying himself. Throughout spring ball, the Keaton Slovis that's been at BYU looks a lot like that Keaton Slovis that we saw at USC. He's he's quick with his decision-making. He's been accurate. And the guy's 
happy when he comes off the field and the results look look tangibly different than what we saw uh, from him at Pitt last year. So I know that Coach Aaron Roderick, the offensive coordinator, uh, he raves about uh, about Keaton Slovis. He's talking about him the same way that he talked about Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall. And, and so I know that there's a lot of excitement from the coaching staff. And from what we've seen as, as fans and in the media, there's there's those like the glimmer of hope that, yeah, hey, look, this looks bright. This looks promising. Obviously, I haven't seen enough of a sample size to jump fully on that bandwagon yet. But but the signs are there that, that Keaton Slovis could have a big year. Uh, that, that makes sense. I mean, look, look, Jordan Addison left Pitt for a reason, and I, I don't think it was all NIL. I, I, they they had a guy in, in Kenny Pickett, like a Heisman finalist, and mm-hmm. then the head coaches out there talking about how they need to run the ball a lot more. Like, all right. Did, did you see like just how much success you had? You're, you're, you're Pitt, and you went to the Peach Bowl. Like that's that's pretty good. Uh, right. So I I get it. Not not exactly a, a super quarterback friendly uh, system they were running there in in Pittsburgh and. You know, he was what air raid back at USC. And I know in high school he threw the ball a ton. Yeah, in, in, in that final year, or so that, that makes sense. If he's chucking around a little more. Uh, still, a run game is a quarterback's best friend. If if, if you got it, they lose Chris Brooks. Uh, they lose Jaron Hall, who was fairly effective on the ground, and a couple other other backs as well. Uh, should I be concerned about this room? <laughs> Uh, BYU's coaching staff feels good. I, I think uh, they they added UNLV transfer Aiden Robbins, and Aiden Robbins can play. BYU wanted him out of high school. He ultimately ended up at Louisville, and then he transferred to to UNLV before last season. He ran for a thousand yards at UNLV, and I get it. They're they're playing in the Mountain West. It's a different ball game, but he was playing behind a Mountain West offensive line, and he was clearly the the best, and and not not even a good. Mountain West offensive line at that. And he was clearly the best running back on, on the field. I mean, he was the best player yeah. most of the time for UNLV. Uh, so he comes into the mix. BYU likes him. They like him in their wide zone scheme. They like him behind their big offensive tackles and, and Caleb Etienne and Kingsley Suamataia. Uh, so there's reason to be hopeful that, that Aiden Robbins can come in and, and really pick off where pick up where Chris Brooks left off or, or where Tyler Algier left off behind him. There's talent in the room. They added, they, they flipped a commit from Stanford, LJ Martin out of Texas uh, on signing day. Uh, if he wasn't a four star, he was right close to four star. Uh, so there's a lot of hope for him. Hinkley Ropati kind of came on late last year. So there's not a lot of proven experience, but there's a, two or three guys that BYU feels pretty comfortable with. Obviously, they got to show it on the field, and, and it's different when the lights are on on Saturday nights. But BYU feels confident in those guys behind Robbins, and they feel really good about Aiden Robbins. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have they, have they run any wildcat with, with, I forget the kid's name, but like he didn't look, as he's assuming he's still on the roster, the, the quarterback they had in the bowl game uh, was a pretty good runner. He was. In fact, they immediately after the bowl game moved him from quarterback to running back to find a way to go. get him okay. the ball more. <laughs> so Soljay Mayava Peters, yeah, he he will be, uh, he'll be a factor. I think BYU will kind of use him in a variety of roles because he can actually catch the ball a little bit as well. So maybe they put him in the slot. Maybe they line him out back and, and he can throw the ball enough that, that he can be a threat. So they want to find ways to get him on the field. I don't think he showed enough to be, you know, the quarterback or the guy there. 
but uh, he was dynamic when he had the ball in his hands. Absolutely. So uh, switching over to receiver here, I feel like a lot of these names that BYU lost are are lost more in name recognition value than they are in on-field value. But but Puka, when he was on the field, he was a stud. And I know he didn't stay totally healthy last year, but mm-hmm. he's gone. Um, what, Cody Epps is gone. Uh, Romney's gone, but he barely played. Right. And, this and looks Cody, like a step back here, right? Well, it, it does. Cody Epps actually, he left and then came back. It was kind of a oh, wild transfer portal win for, for BYU. So it doesn't, you know, count in the rankings, but it's a win for Kalani Satake. But you're right about Gunnar Romney. That Yeah, that it hurts. He was a guy who, you know, when Zach Wilson was here, he was a big part of the offense. But Zach's been gone for a long time, and Gunnar really hasn't been a part of the offense since. Uh, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of names that that you hope step up. BYU feels pretty good about three of their receivers, one being Epps, uh, Chase Roberts, and, and Keanu Hill. They're all kind of like wide receiver twos. Like you hope one of them steps up and becomes that guy like Puka Nakua was when he was on the field. They're all pretty good wide receiver twos, but they're all wide receiver twos. They've added Eastern Michigan wide receiver Darius Lassiter out of the transfer portal. He kind of feels a lot like those other three that yeah, maybe he could be a really good second option. I just don't know if there's anybody right now that really clearly stands out as like, hey, you're going to take on the best cornerback every single week and you're going to be able to create space every single week. I don't know if they have that guy. So how they how they find out how to use these four wide receivers so that somebody's getting open each week, that's going to be the biggest challenge. And then behind them, them, the depth is is really young it's really inexperienced it's just not there there's 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 hope for the future with those players but a lot of freshmen that, that just haven't played uh jojo phillips is coming uh out of high school out of the state of california uh BYU is really high on him and i think that's probably the closest thing to a short thing that you have is a true freshman out of high school a three-star guy so i, I wouldn't be surprised to see byu add another body or two before fall camp starts out of the transfer portal at the wide receiver position but i just don't think the talent is there right now for byu that they can go out and add a wide receiver one i think those guys have all been gobbled up by other other schools across the country yeah i mean there's there's two guys in Right now, that I would think of in the portal, and it's you know it's, it's Coleman from Michigan State and maybe Franklin from UTSA, and, and they're both going to be like, you know, national championship most likely right. like contender type offers. It, it's a tough spot to fill this this you know late if you need a true receiver one. Um, so offensive line, I like Kingsley a lot. He's mm-hmm. a super talented dude, and they didn't lose much, right? Like you lose Clark Barrington and his brother or cousin to Baylor, mm-hmm. but. That Campbell Barrington basically didn't play. Right. Uh, and yet, BYU took five offensive linemen. Is that like a, should I see alarm bells going off that they, they don't like what they have in that room? Because like, taking five so, transfer linemen is a lot. That is a lot. I, I think some historical context from, from Kalani Satake's first couple of years when he was at BYU, they had four or five really good offensive linemen. And when there was an injury, man, things just plummeted. They got bad. That that 2017 year was awful. And uh, a lot of it was the health of the offensive line. Since then, and since bringing in Jeff Grimes to be the offensive coordinator in 2018, Kalani Satake has erred on the side of, I want 15 offensive linemen who can play. And so I think that's what you're seeing right now. They feel really good about this offensive line, but they really like to have 
10 starting caliber offensive linemen if they can. Uh, so they feel really good. They, they feel like they, in fact, Aaron Roderick talked about it, that even losing a guy like Blake, Blake Freeland to the NFL, the Barrington brothers to Baylor, he feels that they got more athletic and more deep this year than they were even a year ago. And they've played pretty well for the last couple of years. So Kingsley, Kingsley's a stud. As long as you have a left tackle like Kingsley, you're going to feel pretty comfortable going into the season. But even behind him, uh, BYU feels really good about eight or nine guys. They're hoping a couple more step up. So maybe not as much upside, but but certainly like like if they if they get injured, like they're not, it's not going to kill the team because you, right, you have some exactly. guys to play. That's 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 certainly comforting. Uh, I think the the Big Twelve schedule this year, when you're trying to figure out the pecking order, is really important and. Mm-hmm. Dude, BYU does not draw uh, a favorable Big 12 schedule for their first year. They, they have to play – in my, my top four teams are Texas, OU, Kansas State, TCU in, in some order. Mm-hmm. They get three of those four. Right. And then they also have to go play uh, – they miss Baylor, right? But they all like, – I mean, Texas Tech is – at least you get Texas Tech to come to Provo and yeah. not, not have to go to Lubbock. Um they have a, a trip to Arkansas and a trip to a, an improving Kansas team. But this is a this is kind of a brutal schedule um, for. Mm. It, it is. It, it, it gets tough. They do get, I, I think, a, a reasonably favorable home schedule. Not that they're getting their biggest names at home. They do get OU at home. But it looks like they should be able to take care of business with night games in Provo. You get Iowa State. You get Cincinnati. Uh, you know, Obviously, the two uh, non-conference games at the beginning of the year. I think their over-under is at six wins. And it feels like there are four wins that you feel really, really comfortable with going into the season. And then there's a handful of toss-up games but then yeah you're right but i mean they play they're, they're one of two big 12 teams who has to play both uh texas and ou and it's their first year in the conference they they didn't get a whole lot of favors there but but frankly i think byu would prefer it that way given what they've tried to do with their independent scheduling they've tried to load up and play as many as they can so i think they're more prepared than, than maybe some of these schools coming out of the american to play a really tough schedule like this uh but that doesn't make it any easier to actually play that schedule well, at least they attack the transfer portal hard, and, and like you, you mentioned, they have been road warriors before. That the, the trip all the way to Morgantown is is certainly a a, yeah. a long trip, and they, they they did clip Oklahoma last year. That that's an interesting over under for for this team. I, I it's always tough to project how they're going to do when they come into a new league because it's the first mm-hmm. time they've seen everybody, but it's also the first time everybody has seen them. So it, you really it's it's hard to tell. Yeah. Jeff, I really appreciate the time here today, man. This this has been great, and I feel like I've, I've really gone to school on BYU. Uh, anything we missed that I, I you feel like I can't believe this this dummy didn't ask me about? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I mean, I think you covered it. I I think that the biggest thing. I mean, if there's one takeaway, uh, really, anything you've seen from the BYU defense, you can kind of throw it away from the last two years, and that's that's BYU's biggest advantage. I think is that unknown going into the season. I mean, just anytime there's a new defensive coordinator, there's unknown. But BYU's doing more than just replacing a defensive scheme. I mean, it's it's talent, it's philosophy. They've had kind of their own miniature Colorado transfer portal exodus on the defensive side of the ball, where this new staff came in and said, "Look, this isn't going to get it done. We've got to get some guys out, and we got to bring some other guys in." Uh, so the defense, uh, I mean, the whole cut, all of BYU fans are, are anxiously awaiting to see what it looks like. But I think really anybody, any college football fan could look at that and say, hey, Jay Hill, if he's as good as, as we think he is, the BYU defense could make a quick turnaround and be a lot of fun to watch this year. No doubt about it. Jeff Hansen, Cougar Insider, Cougar, Cougar, Cougar Insider, Cougar Sports Insider, excuse me. 
<laughs> Last one of the day. We, we've done 11 of these. Jeff, I really appreciate the time. Appreciate it, bud. Thanks so much. Hey, guys. Welcome back in to Bud Elliott's College Football Summer School here on the Cover 3 Podcast. I'm here with Hal McGranahan. Did I check this up again this year? No, you got it, dude. You nailed it dude, first Okay, time. perfect. All right. From the big <laughs> spur, because uh, last year I definitely jacked it up. I apologize. I've, I've known this guy for a long time, and I, I, your last name trips me up at times, man. I, I, I Apologies. 2022. I, I've, had it, I've had it for a long time. It gets me sometimes as well. <laughs> Here we go. All right, 2022, eight and five for the Gamecocks. Uh, all the power ratings had them as like a legitimate top 30 level team which is definitive on-field improvement, I think, for Shane Beamer. Kind of a wild finish, right? Like, they, they lost at home to Missouri. They get blown out by Florida, and then out of nowhere, they're like, hey, we're just going to crush Tennessee by a million, and then they beat Clemson for the first time in, in a long while. I, I imagine folks in, in, in Columbia are feeling pretty good. Yeah, and it probably felt like a million years to folks in Columbia since the last time they had beaten Clemson. But, yeah, you, you mentioned that that Florida loss and and – as bad as they looked in that game, I don't think there were there were many people around town, save for maybe a handful of folks that were in that, that football operations building who who truly thought that they could beat Tennessee, much less be competitive or, or show signs of life. Um, then then to follow that up with the, the Clemson win was pretty miraculous, uh, just given the way things were going to that point in the season with you know the disappointing loss to Missouri when they just played awful and played even worse on the road in, in Gainesville. So um, putting those two wins back-to-back like that certainly set things up for, for quite a run in the offseason and, and has, has people around here really fired up, probably as fired up, fired up as, as this fan base has been in, in almost a decade. So last year, a lot of excitement with Spencer Rattler coming in, had a couple of other nice transfer pieces coming in, and this wasn't a top 25 quality offense. Uh, I – I didn't think it was well designed. And they had Spencer Rattler lead the nation in passes that were behind the line of scrimmage, which I don't know, like maybe that suits him. I feel like he's got kind of a cannon. You'd like to see him push the ball down the field a little bit more with a really experienced offensive line that they had last year. Shane Beamer saw the same thing that I think we all saw and made a change that they go with, with, with Dowell Loggins, uh, how was that higher received, I, I guess, in, in you know, juxtaposition to Clemson going and, and getting Garrett Riley? Well, trying to compare the two, I, I think there's, there's probably a little bit of uneasiness because there, there are plenty of people around here who, who wanted Garrett Riley to, to be the offensive coordinator uh, last season. Uh, his, his name was kind of out there a little bit. And uh, even, I guess, even before. Uh, Beamer hired Marcus Satterfield in, in 2021, going back that far. But uh, I, I think w- with with Loggins and, and, and what we're sort of hearing, both on the record and behind the scenes, it, it sounds like this offense is going to be different uh, in some ways. And while there will be some carryover and similarities, I, I think it's going to be a little more of like a college field type of offense. Uh, with, with Satterfield's system, there, there was all the talk about trying to be pro style and and with that, uh, th- there were some issues, whether it was just trying to be too complex for the sake of being complex for, for, for all the stuff that, that you, you mentioned about the, the screen passes, uh, 
Uh, maybe some of that was a result of, of trying to get things going in the run game or being, you know, an offshoot of the run game. Um, and, and while they, they had some issues personnel-wise last season, they, they certainly had, had quite a few when it came to just the scheme and the play calling and the overall feel of that offense. And, and, and it warranted a change. And, and here we are with, with Dowell Loggins heading into to year three under, under Shane Beamer. And we, obviously, we don't know how it worked out. Shane Beamer, I'm sure, talked to plenty of guys and, and, and picked the dude he thought would, would, would fit you know, the, the personnel that he has. In talking to the players, are, do they seem more comfortable with, with, with the new system? They do. It's, it's, it's much more, I guess, simpler. I guess it's, it's, it's simpler. The, the verbiage isn't, isn't quite as, as lengthy. I, I can't remember which, which game it was last year. Uh, but towards the end of the season, during during the broadcast, uh, wh- whoever was on the call was was you know given given the play call, and it was very lengthy, a lot of words, and and, and probably a lot for for players to digest. Uh, so so I think they've they've definitely shortened that up a little bit, and and are probably trying to be uh, more like the offense that we saw against Tennessee and Clemson, because they, they did simplify things, they did uh, make things easier for the players, they did put them in better position to to go out and make plays and, and execute. So I I think we're, we're going to see some, some offensive production that is more in line with what we saw in those two games and, and less, you know, Florida and Missouri games. And I know in our comment sections, especially in our live shows, uh, some South Carolina fans were not entirely sure that Satterfield was calling the offense in, in, in those last two games. So that's, that's good to hear that, that the players are uh, are, are, are confident and what Loggins will bring. Probably the most important guy for his confidence is Spencer Rattler, who you mentioned. Where's the area of his game that can improve the most since he did come back to school and is going to look to elevate that draft stock? I guess decision-making, if, if that's an area that, that a guy that that advanced and has played that much, I, I, don't, I don't know if you can really clean that up uh, to this point in his career, but I think some of the decisions he made last year were were you know, not the best. And, and I think that could be reflected in, in the interception numbers, though, you know, some of those certainly weren't his fault, you know, balls bouncing off receivers hands and things like that. But uh, I, I think if he can just clean, clean up those things a little bit and, and uh, maybe not press as much, I think there was probably a degree of that during the season uh, when, when things weren't going so well. Um, I, I think just sort sort of small things like that. And, and I'm sure he, he could probably get on here and, and, and talk to you about, you know, some, some of the mechanical things or um, things that are probably a little bit uh, beyond my, my scope of, of expertise, quote unquote. But uh, I, I think really at, at the end of the day, it's just a matter of, of, of just making the right decision and knowing where the ball is supposed to be and, and getting it there on time. So South Carolina loses their top two rushers in, in, in Lloyd and Bell, who was, basically a tight end that I think due to personnel, they had to stick uh, back there at times last year. The results were, were horrible with, with, with the run game last year. Obviously, again, they, they fired the, the OC. So, you know, like they're, they're bringing in somebody new, which I think is a good move here. Uh, if, if their run game gets back on track, who is that guy that, that all the fans at home are going to need to know about? That's an interesting question, but here we, we're, we're recording this here on, on May the 10th and, and, South Carolina is trying to get Logan Diggs, uh, Notre Dame transfer, out of the portal. Um, so, so depending on on when folks listen to this, uh, you know that name could be relevant or just totally irrelevant. So, um, he he could be a guy if if he ends up uh, surprising folks and coming to South Carolina over LSU. Uh, 
he, he would be at the top of the list for sure. To carry on Joyner, who's played quarterback and receiver uh, hmm. throughout his career, has, has moved over to running back. And really, in my opinion, that was sort of the natural fit for him if he was not going to play quarterback. I, I, I thought even going back to his, his days as a high school recruit that, that I thought he could fit at running back. And, and uh, you know, he's about 6'1", 220 pounds right now and, and uh, showed some, some signs during the spring game. So I think we could potentially see him being a factor regardless of, of what happens with, with the portal. Um, Juju McDowell, who's who's a smaller scat back type of guy, is, is going to have a role. Uh, he, he's not going to be a between-the-tackles type of guy who can – be a bell cow uh, at, at, you know, five, eight, five, nine, 170 pounds on a good day. That that's just not in, in his DNA, obviously. And, and uh, yeah, again, just if, if this portal thing shakes out with digs and then absolutely he'll be at the top of the list, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see how, how that goes. We will certainly be watching that. Uh, so we had Cole Kublik on the show of the SEC network and he was pretty bold. He said, I, I think Antoine Wells is the best receiver in the SEC and like I'm, I'm confident in that, which is obviously huge praise. SEC has gotten a lot better at receiver in recent years. He he was draft eligible, right? Like, did did he mm-hmm. kind of go into why he decided to come back or, or or what he's looking to improve most in his game? I I think he feels like there there was a little bit a little bit of meat left on the bone. I mean, you go back to those last two games again, and and even the ball game. Um, he, he feels like if he can put up that type of production over the course of a season, then, then I think he can really elevate his draft stock uh, that way. I, I, I don't know if there are some specifics like he wants to improve as a route runner or, or you know, some, some details like that. But, uh, you know, when, when it was clear that Spencer Rattler was coming back, I think Antoine Wells <laughs> decided that, uh, that he would join them. Those two were, were sort of uh, in lockstep with each other throughout that that process and, and, and figuring out whether or not they're going to be back. So if Spencer Rattler wasn't back, I, I don't think we'd be sitting here talking about uh, Juice Wells and, and what he can add to, to this offense in 2023 and, and whether or not he's he's the best receiver in the league. I, I do know that uh, he, he's probably as, as tough and physical after the catch as, as anybody else in the SEC, probably even the country. He He's got uh, he's got an edge to him with, with the ball in his hands, and, and I think there are probably some areas, again, like, uh, you know, maybe cleaning up some things before the ball gets to him that uh, he, he's looking to improve on and, and get better at this fall. So but behind Juice Wells, South Carolina did lose a, a lot of, of its its returning catches and, and yards. Who are the guys that the fans at home should know, like, you know, tight end or, or, or receiver two, receiver three? Did anybody emerge in spring camp as, like, guys that are definitely going to take those spots? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a, a mix between – well, not really a mix. It's it's a lot of guys who are, who are transfers who, who who've come in and 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 really made an impression uh, at, at receiver specifically. There's Eddie Lewis who who transferred in from from Memphis and oh, the Memphis kid kind of yeah he yeah he can kind of fill that role of, of Josh Van. They're they're pretty similar in, in the way they profile as players. So so I think you'll, you'll see him step in and, and be a uh, a factor with, within the offense. Um, sticking at receiver, uh, you know Xavier Leggett is back. Uh, he's had issues over the years with catching the ball, but when he's got the ball in his hands, he's he's pretty he's pretty good, man. Like, yeah, uh, he he returned that kickoff against A and M and and showed some some flashes in the bowl game against Notre Dame when when um, it was really just him and, and Antoine Wells out there uh, catching passes. So he's 
he's pretty electric when, when he when he can hang on to the ball. Um, then then at tight end they brought in Trey Knox from from Arkansas uh, out of the portal, and uh, a guy named Josh Simon who who's from Sumter, South Carolina, uh, was a productive tight end at, at uh, Western Kentucky for the last few years, and and the staff's really excited about those two guys and. And what they're going to be able to add to this offense, they're, they're obviously bigger body guys, and, and there hadn't been a players kind of like that in a, in a couple of years. I mean, going back to Brian Edwards, and, and he's he was obviously a receiver, not a tight end. So they're, they're they're pretty fired up about what what that duo can bring to the offense, and and how they can uh, allow that to complement Wells and and Lewis and and Leggett, and even like a guy named Amarian Brown, who who has been with the team for a couple of years, transferred from. Georgia Tech, who's who's really fast, so uh, they they've got a, a pretty good complement of receivers, and of course Nick Harbor coming in in yeah. in the summer, and and uh, I think they're gonna we're gonna see this this thing flying through the air a good bit, uh, just given all the the circumstances uh, around the personnel and, and the offense. I'm I'm pretty excited to watch this thing. I I, I don't know if there's an offense in the country that's going to benefit from a coaching change more than, than South Carolina, uh, and that's hopefully that's not too depressing for Nebraska fans, given who they hired. But I just I was like, this thing does not look well well run uh, for the most part of, of last year. If it doesn't take off, it's because the offensive line, which lost its top three guys by snap count, and then Jalen Nichols got hurt in the spring game, and it looked. And I'm not a doctor. It it looked bad. It. Do we know what a pro- prognosis is on him at this point? Nothing officially has been revealed as far as what what the injury is, but uh, Shane Beamer said, you know, a week or two ago that that he will not be uh, uh, you know available at the start of the season, and and they're hopeful that he can be back before the end of it. So probably read between the lines on, on what that might be, uh, but yeah, it's it's long term relative to this season, and and. Yeah, the outlook as far as getting him back isn't isn't too rosy, and and that you know going going back to what I was saying with the circumstances of the offense and, and why they might have to just throw the ball a lot. Uh, they've lost a lot along the offensive line, like you said, Bud. Eric Douglas, who played a lot at center. I mean, he was he was a stalwart at center <laughs> going back to the Muschamp days. He he played a ton of ton of football. Javon Gwynn, who played guard, was drafted by the Falcons. Uh, Dylan Wanham, who played a lot at right tackle, uh, is also gone. So uh, they're going to be breaking in some some new guys and uh, maybe having to rely on some guys at tackle who who probably shouldn't be playing tackle, but that's just kind of where they're at right now and and trying to uh, get some of these young young talented offensive linemen up to speed and and maybe uh, playing sooner than later. But uh, but yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be a little. Uh, Little little tense at times when 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 folks are seeing the offensive line and 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 what they're given to to Spencer Rattler in terms of protection and and things like that. Do you think there's hope they can keep the the drop off in offensive line play like to sort of like that mild to moderate range as opposed to just a a massive problem? Uh, I don't want, I don't know that I'm gonna sit here in in May and call it a, a massive problem, but. Uh, I, I'm not trying to, to paint a, a nice picture by any means. Or gotcha. They again, they lost a ton of guys, and uh, and and they're going to have have some guys at, at some spots that probably again that you know playing tackle when they should probably be at guard, uh, and some of them might be freshmen doing that. Uh, so it could be an issue, uh, especially as it relates to the run game. So so yeah, I, I 
I, I think there there's some South Carolina fans out there right now who are probably rolling their eyes as I say this because you know it's it's all sunshine and rainbows as far as they're concerned. But uh, it's it's going to be something that uh, we'll probably get a, a pretty good feel for uh, when they go to Athens and, and play Georgia, and, and a couple weeks later when they have to go to Tennessee um, playing Knoxville. So uh, so we'll see. I I, I would imagine there will be a lot of quick hitting uh, passing stuff for for Spencer Rattler to. Uh, to, to play with this season. Well, w- welcome to 140 catches, Juice Wells. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so switching over to the defensive side of the ball again, talking to Helmer Granahan of the Big Spur, awesome South Carolina website, best in the business, and have done so for a long time. So the, the defense slipped last year from Brad White's top 20 unit by the kind of opponent-adjusted power ratings out there in 2021 to a top 60 defense uh, last year. Obviously, didn't make a coordinator change since Brad White has shown you know good defensive coaching in the past. Uh, I do got to start with the front here. They lose six of their top eight by by snap count. So Zach Pickens, MJ Webb, Birch, Rod Green, Edmund, Brad Johnson. Can they avoid a a, a big drop off here? Like the, on paper, it looks bad, but that's why we do summer school, right? Sometimes we find out it's it's actually not that bad. Yeah, Clayton. Clayton wants a defensive coordinator. He. Uh, oh, why did I say Brad White? I'm sorry. Apologies. Oh, that's cool. Well, I mean, as long as you're getting my name right, we'll we'll get Clayton White next season. There um, we go. But something to kind of keep in mind, though, Bud, is that Arkansas game last year. They lost two of their their best players on on defense, and definitely in the front seven, uh, Jordan Strawn, defensive end, and and Mo Kaba, linebacker. They both tore their ACLs in that game, and. Uh, Strong, even though I think it was the second game of the season, Strong was off to an awesome start. Like he, he led the country in sacks uh, in 2020 at Georgia State, and and uh, looked like a guy who who could be towards the top of the you know the sack total list uh, for the SEC last season before he went down. And then Mokaba was their, their starting middle linebacker, a guy who was highly recruited out of high school and uh, was was going to be obviously counted on to, to play a lot uh, last season and. Uh, when, when they they lost those two guys, they lost some juice off the edge, and they lost uh, a guy in the middle who who was going to be running the show. So I, I think that that certainly hurt them. And, and when when you look at the season as a whole, uh, I, I think it would probably been a little bit better had those two been been up and and playing. So uh, we'll see where they are when when the season gets going. Both have already torn an ACL in the past, so this is. Second time through for those guys, so you can either say, "Well, you know, they they know what it takes to come back from it and, and are used to it," or you know, the other side of that is, "Well, you know, what are they going to be when when they're playing?" So, uh, like you mentioned, lost lost Zach Pickens, who who was a pretty good player in the middle, maybe didn't quite live up to some of the expectations that that came with him being a five star recruit. Uh, Jordan Birch, as you mentioned, is transferred to Oregon, but you know, again, it's May 10th, and, and as wild as this may sound, bud, um, I, I don't know that he's always he's he's going to stay at Oregon. There, there's been rumors out there that that he could be uh, looking to get back. Um, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, Gilbert Edmond transferred to Florida State. Um, you know, for for all the good things you can say about the portal and and, and what it's done for for this team, this first two years under Shane Beamer. Uh, you know, losing your your best two defensive ends from last season. It's it's going to be hard to replace. I, I don't care who you are. Uh, it, it's going to be tough to, to bounce back from that. And 
And again, they, they've got some, some irons in the fire from a portal standpoint. Uh, as we sit here again on May 10th, they're, they're trying to sign Jatias Jeer from Syracuse. Oh, the Syracuse uh, who, kid. Who's a pretty good player. Good at, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he is good. Yeah, so if, if they can they can get him into the fold, he, he visited uh, earlier this month. Uh, he's, he's originally from the state of South Carolina, so I, I think they feel pretty good about adding him to, to the mix and, and complimenting Strong potentially. So uh, there, there's still some, some, again, some moving pieces and, and, and things that uh, aren't quite in place yet that, that might be in place by the time uh, folks are, are listening to this. this so chat. say – Safe to say that there's a lot more confidence in the defensive line replacing the losses than than the offensive line replacing what they lost. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm a lot more confident because I mean, I, I think losing Birch and Edmund is a lot, and I, I don't know. It, it's it's tough tough for me to sit here and say that. I, I I think Birch really started to come on late last season. Uh, Edmund played played pretty well. Uh, his, his role elevated when, when Strong went down. So um, at a position like defensive end where there's, there's not a lot of them in the portal and when there are half decent ones, a lot of people want them, uh, it, it's, it's hard to replace those guys. So, um, and, and I guess you could say the same thing about offensive tackle too, obviously. But uh, th- they do have some, some young guys uh, that they're going to be trying to count on, like Desmond Yume Azolu, who, who – enrolled early who's a four-star recruit out of the dc area um they've got a couple of defensive tackles and tonka hemingway who, who's played on the edge and elijah davis who was a juco signee and was was in the spring and played some men too so they can kind of make it work uh probably better compared to like trying to stick guys who, who are more suited at guard to, to offensive tackle like I think they're probably a little bit better uh, if they have to slide some defensive tackles out to defensive end. So, so maybe I'd feel a little more confident uh, in, in answering your question and, and, uh, on the defensive line that way. It makes sense. Uh, just a couple more here. Let's go. Uh, secondary returns, they're top three by snap count, all who graded pretty well. They do lose Cam Smith. They lose Darius Rush. Uh, how big of a loss are those guys? Well, I mean, Cam Smith was a second-round pick by the Dolphins, and Rush was a fourth-round pick by the Colts. They're they're really good, and and they played a ton, obviously. And uh, there there's not a ton of depth on on this team at at cornerback. Uh, Marcellus Dial played a lot last season, and and the year before that, for that matter. And O'Donnell Fortune has been around a little bit and played some, but um, he, he's not you know real real experience in terms of playing time and and behind them there there's again some question marks uh i, I think i think dial and fortune are pretty good i don't think they're smith and rush the last year or, or going back the year before that but um you know things things can change i mean i i think back to the last year's conversation bud that we had and i was talking about rj roderick and Devonnie reed at safety and and how there wasn't a lot behind them and you know Halfway into the season, it's it's Nicky Manwari and DQ Smith, two lightly recruited freshmen who who are really good and and, and are going to be, you know, big time players for this defense uh, for the next couple of years. So, uh, I, going back to the cornerback thing, though, I, I think there there are some concerns there from a depth standpoint, but but I think those first two guys are are pretty good. They're just going to have to try to get some other guys ready and and uh, and hope for the best there. I'll tell you, man, South Carolina and Arkansas just going through my notes from last year. 
had a, a ton of, of annoying defensive injuries and just like a, they had to play a lot of young guys. So maybe that experience will, will, will pay off, you know, for both those teams this fall. I, I do want to ask you, and we don't talk a lot of special teams on here because special teams year to year can be seemingly almost random. Like, like most teams are not great at special teams every year. South Carolina, they seem to be doing something. Like they kind of jump off the page stats wise that they're consistently like good to really good in special teams. Do they do more? Like how do they do more in practice than other teams do here? Is it just the quality of like kicker punter they have? Because they're they're really damn good all the time. Uh, I would say the answer to all those things is yes. They okay. they have Pete Limbo is their special teams coordinator and. That's all he does. He doesn't coach another position. He just runs the show on special teams. And and obviously Shane Beamer, uh, the whole Beamer ball thing was was something that he certainly wanted to try to to bring to South Carolina. And, and he said before that if he was going to have a special teams coordinator, not named Shane Beamer, it was going to be Pete Limbo. And and Limbo's done a really good job. He he got a big time race this off season and is going to be around here probably for a while. Uh, and you look at some of the results of what they've done on the field, Kai Kroger, the punter, Mitch Jeter, the kicker, the place kicker have, have both been really good. Like those, those guys have, you know, to answer your question about are, are they just good? Like, yeah, they're, they're legit. Kroger, Kroger is also <laughs> a pretty good passer of the football too. And, and we've seen some of the su- success they've had. And, and running fake punts and even fake field goals and, and what that's done uh, for this team. And, you know, not just in a game, but from an overall identity standpoint, it's, it's, it's helped give this team something to kind of hang its hat on when, when the offense isn't going so hot or the defense is struggling to get off the field, that the special teams has been something that, that they can count on. And, you know, I, it, it's, it's referred to as, as a third of the game and, and maybe some folks roll their eyes at that, that notion, but uh, they've definitely made it a a strong third of of the game uh, at South Carolina and and Pete Limbo and and Shane Beamer's commitment to him and having him around on the staff and and, and doing a lot in practice uh, when it comes to to special teams has paid off, clearly. I mean, I I don't know if it's smart to just have a special teams coach, but if you know the guy can coach special teams and is really good, then it obviously it makes a whole lot of sense to to have it. Like, a, not not everybody should have one unless you have a guy that you know really coaches special teams well. That's that's a that's a cool kind of inefficiency that Beamer seems to have found there. Obviously, his dad was, as you mentioned, pretty darn good at it as well. I, I I'm excited about what South Carolina's building. I mean, like the the way they're recruiting and it just like the way kids talk about. It. I mean, I, I know you talk to these guys too. It 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 feels like. You know, if they can just keep it rolling a little bit this year, like the, the young talent on this team that they're bringing in that they just signed is, I think it's pretty encouraging, man. Like he's doing a lot better. Than I, I mean, I bet their win total last two years over, but like he's doing, he's exceeding my expectations at, at almost every turn. So this is, it's got to be fun to cover these guys. It is. It's refreshing compared to to the way things were the last few years under the previous regime. Um and that's not really a shot at them. That's just kind of how it is around here now. It's it's exciting. Uh, you know, the fan base was pretty vocal in wanting to get Shane Beamer back here as a head coach. You know, the people who make the decisions, you know, the voices that matter wanted Shane Beamer back as the head coach. And, you know, I, I was a little hesitant to, 
to to sit there and say like, oh, this is going to work out great because you know he'd never been a head coach before, and, and you just never really know. But uh, so far, so good, and and it really helped that they won those two games last uh, at the end of the last seasons because uh, I, I don't think I don't think the the feel good stuff we're we're sitting here talking about right now would would feel as great. But uh, but yeah, think, things are going well from a recruiting standpoint. They're they're doing a really good job, in, in my opinion, at recruiting both lines of scrimmage. Um, yes. Now we mentioned the offensive line and some of those issues that they could have this season. Um, there's a reason they, they went really hard and have prioritized it uh, for the 2023 class and the 2024 class as well. So uh, folks can just kind of hold on and, and, and uh, kind of grin and bear it a little bit that way. I, I think it's going to pay dividends down the road uh, up front on offense. Absolutely. Dale, really appreciate the time here on Cover 3 Summer School. And guys, make sure you check out the Big Spur. Awesome site.